Thank you. Okay, there, yeah, there we go. All right. I knew something was strange. Okay. So we had fall retreat. And to be honest with you, fall retreat is scary for me because like, I talk it up big time. So I say it's going to be the greatest thing ever. But if God doesn't show up, then it's not that great. And on Saturday night, a ton of students came up to the altar, and I was just like, Lord, this is on you. I can't force anything. And it was just incredible to see as each student was being impacted by God in a powerful way. Students who had questions and, and were skeptical about God just earlier in the day were just getting rocked by Jesus. And it was an incredible weekend. But here's the thing. If you didn't come to fall retreat, that's okay, because it's going to be even better tonight and then better next week. It's going to be incredible here at Chi Alpha. So... I'm just believing that fall retreat can be something that's a launching pad for us into greater things. It's not about fall retreat. It's about what happens afterwards. So I'm praying that tonight that God would just move in our hearts. So we're kicking off a series called Who We Are. And this series has been on my heart for quite some time. If you log on to our, uh, to our website um, or underneath the Discover tab, there's something called our values. And I'm sure none of you have read these because no one cares about that typically. But there's five core values, like as a ministry that we have. So we're going to take five weeks and just look at each value that God calls us to hold dear as a ministry. Like five things that, that God calls us to be. So the first thing is this. If you want to throw it up on the screen. So we are followers first. So far above anything else, above, uh, like who we, or above what major we have, above what uh, background we come from, God calls us to be followers of him before anything else. So I just pray as a ministry that, that God would position us in such a way where we follow him no matter what he asks us to do. Like no matter what this book says, we obey it. That's my prayer as a ministry, that, that each of us would be a people who say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want for my life, God, I submit to you. I submit to your authority. So this is what I said. We are just a ministry of people who love Jesus and his word. We're passionate about just knowing him and growing closer to him. We follow him. We put him first and we submit to his authority in our lives. So that's what we're talking, up, or talking about tonight. The title of the message is, We Are Followers. So I think the idea of submitting to authority has become a dirty concept in our culture. Simply put, we don't really like to submit to authority figures. We don't want there to be any authority in our life other than us. You know, sometimes this is for good reason because people can hurt you. Like for me, I've been hurt by authority figures in my life, and sometimes we want to protect ourselves and say, I'm not going to uh, submit to authority again. Sometimes people lead us astray who are just over us or are, are entrusted to, to guide us. And, and people hurt us, so we kind of protect ourselves from authority and say, I don't want to uh, submit to that. But my wife and I have been watching this show on Netflix called, it's called Madam Secretary. I don't know if any of you have watched it. Maybe like one of you. Okay, Madam Secretary. I, so I really like politics, so I enjoy this show. It's about the Secretary of State. It's a fictional portrayal of the Secretary of State. And something that just really threw me for, or for a loop in this show was just how much respect and deference they show to the Secretary of State. You know, they call her Madam Secretary. If they ever call her by something other than that, then it's considered really disrespectful. And even more so with the president, they show him even more respect. They always say, like, no matter what they think, they serve at the pleasure of the president. It's, it's just really interesting to me because I think in a culture where we bash our leaders on social media, that just seems foreign to me that, or that we would show respect to our, or to our leaders. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes because of our lack of respect for leaders or for government officials, you know, social media is just our platform to rip on them. That's kind of, uh, or kind of went over to our relationship with God. Like, or like, we don't really submit to his authority sometimes because we have, or just have a tough time submitting to human authority. See, God is, or see, or as a people of God, we are called to submit to his authority. I think 
Like in our culture where like authority is a dirty thing, submitting to, or to other people is a dirty thing, we've lost the art and the beauty of following God and putting him first and saying, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to submit to you. See, oftentimes we fall into the trap of, of looking at this book and saying, hey, or tonight I'm going to take what I want from this and I'm going to leave what I don't want, okay? God calls me not to lust. Uh, I can't do that. I'm going to still lust. Okay, God calls me to love my neighbor. Okay, that sounds nice. And we take what we want from this book and then leave other things out. But I want to be a people who say whatever the Bible says is what we're going to do. Whatever the Bible says about our lives, whatever the Bible says about the way we should respond to culture and the different trends that we're seeing in our culture, that's what I want to do. I want to put this book before anything else. Put God in front of anything else in the world that could be pulling at me. And it's okay to, to question things that's in the Bible or to question God. It's okay to do that. God calls us into authentic relationship with him. He calls us, I mean, if you look in the Psalms, it's the, it's the writings of King David as he is pouring his heart out to God. There's times where there's just there's, uh, different armies chasing him and trying to kill him. And he's like, God, what are you doing? God, why did you put me in this situation? It's okay to question God at times, but I pray that at the end of the day, when God shows you his will, that you would submit to that. So before anything else as a ministry, I want to be a people who say we're followers of Jesus first. When God calls us to flee sin, we flee sin. When Jesus calls us to put others before ourselves, we put others before ourselves. When God calls us to live holy lives, we say, God, I'm going to do everything I can to live a holy life. When God calls you to forgive your friend who hurt you, then you're called to forgive him, and we'll do that. I'm praying that we be a ministry who does things that just seem out of the ordinary, forgiving our friends who have hurt us. Submission to God is actually the best way to live. That's the beautiful thing. See, it seems like, oh, you got to submit to some authority, but it's actually the best way to live. See, John 10.10 says that Jesus came so we could have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't come to steal our fun. He didn't come to, to say, hey, you can't do that, can't do that. Jesus came to give you life and to give you abundant life. And then Deuteronomy 10.13 says that God's commandments are for our good. So it's all for our good. All these commandments, all the things that the Bible says are for our good. So even though submitting to God may seem difficult, when we obey Jesus, we find life. And the coolest thing is we become the person that God destined us to be. I don't know about you, but I want to be the person that God created me to be. And the pathway to, to that is through the scriptures. It's, it's through God's word. So God is calling us to, or to be a ministry that just loves his word and loves him so much. Even when the world is telling us other things, we submit to his word. We find refuge in his word. We find life in his word. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verse, the, or verse 1 through 11. We're going to look at just this account here. It's going to be on the screen, too, if you didn't bring a Bible, but I encourage you to have a paper Bible with you if you do. Um, yeah, so this is the account of Jesus calling his first disciples to follow him. And there's three things I want you to pay attention to in this story. Three things. I think if you pay attention to these three things, you'll get the point of the message. The first thing is, the way that the disciples address Jesus when he first comes onto the scene. So that's the first thing, the way that the disciples address Jesus. The second thing is the way that Peter responds to Jesus when God shows his power. The way that Jesus responds, or not Jesus, the way that Peter responds to Jesus when he shows him how powerful he is. And then the third thing is the hard decision that they make at the end because of Jesus' power and Jesus' authority. So if you get those three things, I think you're going to get the point of the message. So let's, let's check it out. First one. So on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So notice, Simon Peter, he doesn't like, know anything about Jesus at this point, but he calls him Master right on the spot. Like Before Jesus has proven himself to him, he says, Master. That's the way I want to be to Jesus. Say, hey, Master, that's the, way I, that's the way I want to address Jesus. That's the way that I want a relationship to be is where Jesus is my Master. That's, I just think that's interesting. And then, then the cool thing is he actually does what Jesus tells him to do. He says, it's kind of stupid because I've already tried to catch fish and it hasn't worked, but I'll do it anyways because you're asking me to do it. All right, let's look at verse 6. And then when they had done this, they enclosed a large, or a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So look at his response to Jesus. When he sees that Jesus, or when Peter sees that there's something special about Jesus, that that he may be something more than just a man. He bows before him, and he acknowledges his sinfulness. I love that heart, the heart that bows before Jesus and humbles itself and says, wow, there's something special about you. I'm not, or I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. So they made a hard decision at the end. They left everything. They knew that if they wanted to follow Jesus, if they wanted to travel with Jesus as he did ministry, they had to leave everything. They couldn't bring stuff with them. So they made the hard decision that they had to make to follow Jesus and left everything behind. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this passage, God. I just pray tonight that you call us to be a people who follow you no matter what the cost. Lord, I just pray that, that your love would push us to respond in a radical way tonight. God, I pray we wouldn't try to follow you out of duty or out of trying to get you to love us, but we'd follow you because you've already loved us so much. Jesus, pray that you would move tonight. In your name, amen. All right. So the main point tonight is this. If you get anything out of the message, I want you to get this. In awe of God's love and power, we fully submit ourselves to his authority and are willing to do whatever it takes to follow him. This is what Christianity is all about. This is why we exist as a people. This is why God created you. God created you so that you could love him with your whole heart. See, God wanted to share his love with you. We talked about this last week, the Trinity for all of eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been sharing love and service with each other, and God wanted to extend that to us, to show us love, to share his love with us. And then God calls us to respond back to that by loving him with everything we have and following him no matter what the cost. Christianity is not a religion that you can just sit in a seat, or it's not a religion you can just show up to some building once a week. It's not that kind of religion. Christianity calls for your whole heart to leave everything, to follow him no matter what the cost. So I think there are two principles from this passage of what it means to follow Jesus. So the first thing comes from verse 8. So let's read verse 8. We'll throw it up on the screen again. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So the first thing is this. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to do 
do this. We have to humble ourselves before Jesus and acknowledge his authority in our lives. I love how Peter responds to the power of Jesus. Peter responds by bowing before him in the midst of a boat full of nasty fish. Okay, there's tons of fish in this boat, and he bows in the midst of them, just fish come and hit him on the head. He's bowing before Jesus. He's saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Peter recognizes that the radical grace, the radical power of Jesus requires a radical response. Peter doesn't resist Jesus. He doesn't try to make excuses for his sin, but he just realizes that his encounter with God requires this radical response. He, Peter realizes that the only proper response to the power and love of God is to just acknowledge how simple you are, to humble yourself before him, and to give your life to him. And the incredible thing is God doesn't call you to clean up your life. God didn't call Peter to figure everything out. God just called Peter to humble himself. That's how we find Jesus. We humble ourselves before him and we put our faith in him. So we often respond to, to God's love and God's presence by just shrugging our shoulders and continuing our lives the same way we did before. Or we experience God in a space like this. It's incredible. You know, Levensky's just jamming out in worship and you're just feeling it. You got the goosebumps. Wow, that's incredible. But then you go home and you live the same way you did before. That's not the way Peter responded to Jesus. Peter was absolutely transformed, changed, and never lived his life the same way after this. Peter humbled himself before God and made changes. I love reading about Peter's life because it's a model of what our relationship should be like to God. We see throughout the Gospels just how much Jesus loves Peter. Jesus loves Peter so much, and we see that over and over again in the Gospels. And then Jesus uses Peter to do great things despite Peter's consistent failures. Okay, if you read the Gospel, Peter just looks like an idiot. But Jesus loves him so much throughout that, and Jesus still uses Peter. But the thing is, is Jesus doesn't hesitate to rebuke Peter when he's wrong. There's actually one time when Peter, or Jesus calls Peter Satan. Okay, don't complain about God convicting you of his, or convicting you of your sin until he calls you Satan, okay? Jesus calls Peter Satan, but, but Peter always responds to this kind of correction by changing things, by, by humbling himself and saying, wow, like I've totally missed the mark and I need to change the way I'm living my life. Peter doesn't shake his fist at God. He just responds by humbling, or by humbling himself before him and by repenting and growing from it. And if you read the Gospels in the book of Acts, you see that Peter progresses from this man who's just on his knees in the midst, full of a, or the midst of a boat full of fish, this dirty man, and throughout the Gospels and Acts, you see him be transformed into a mighty man of God. As he continues to fall, yes, he continues to fail, but Jesus keeps picking him back up, spanking him, and saying, all right, get better this time. And Peter keeps getting better and better and better. And then, like even at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is being arrested. He's about to be crucified on the cross. And, and a couple of people ask Peter, um, or they ask Peter if he knows Jesus. And Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, I don't know the man, because Peter's scared out of his mind. He doesn't want to get crucified as well. So Peter denies Jesus, and he feels terrible afterwards. He feels like, wow, God could never forgive me. And honestly, it seems like he would even be on the brink of committing suicide, if you ask me. It's that big of a deal. Like, Peter is just torn up. Peter, Peter is just destroyed because of how he failed his Lord. But then Jesus rises from the dead. Thank God that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rises from the dead, comes to Peter, and forgives him. And Peter is completely different after that. Because Peter tasted the radical love of God. He tasted just how much Jesus loved him. Even when he denied him three times, Peter is transformed from that encounter with God's grace. And when we encounter God's grace, it changes us. 
And Peter goes on, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved in Acts 2. And then he continues to build the church, and Peter is the leader of the church. Peter is used to, to, or to help take the church throughout the world. And it's the same guy who was just sitting in the midst of a boat full of fish, the same guy who denied Jesus three times, the same guy who was called Satan by Jesus. This man, because he continued to humble himself before God, he continued to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, this man was used to shake nations. So God doesn't call us to have it all figured out. God doesn't call us to never mess up. God calls us to be humble enough to bow before him when we screw up. So how did you respond when you first encountered God's love? Did you respond like Peter and say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man? Did you respond like that or did you shake your fist at him? I just got to ask you that question. How did you respond to the love of God? If you have not responded in that way, I challenge you tonight. You need to have an encounter with his presence like never before. God loves you so much. God loves you so much, but you're so flawed. We're all so flawed. We all have our sins, and we need to recognize the gravity of a holy God coming down to earth and dying on the cross for us. We need to recognize the gravity that Jesus bore our punishment on the cross, and that should change our hearts. That should cause us to humble ourselves and bow before him. That's why... I want to be a ministry. I want this to be a ministry that says we're followers of Jesus before anything else. We bow ourselves before his authority. We just humble ourselves before God and say, whatever you ask us to do, whatever the word says, I'm going to just obey it and trust you. That's what I want to be as a ministry. I want to be like Peter. I want to be fully committed to Jesus. I want to bow myself before him. And it all started right here in Luke 5 where Peter bows before Jesus, and he just acknowledges that he is sinful and he's unworthy. But pay attention to how Jesus responds. Just a couple verses later, he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So Peter responds in that way with humility, but then Jesus says, do not be afraid. You're going to be used to catch men. So Jesus responds to Peter's, Peter's humility by saying, despite your flaws, I'm going to use you for great things. I want to have that, that encounter with God tonight. I want you to have that encounter to God or that that encounter with God tonight, if you've never humbled yourself before his feet. So what does it look like to live a life that's humbled before God and submitted to his authority? I think there's really two things, and I'm sure there's more, but this is all I could think of. So go ask someone who's smarter than me. All right, so the first thing is this. The word of God has to be our final authority in life. So above culture, above our own ideas and philosophies, above our own desires, we have to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. We we need to be committed to, to reading it every day so we can know what God's will is for our lives and get to know him better. We need, God, or we need God's word to show us where we're falling short. We need to be submitted to God's word. The second thing is this. We need to confess our sin to God and to others. Just because you've decided to follow Jesus and have accepted his sacrifice on the cross, that doesn't mean that you don't have to continue to repent for your sin and continue to grow. When I sin against Emily, my wife, if you raise your hand, some people don't know who you are right there. When I sin against her, I don't get to just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. No, I have to come and apologize and make things right. God calls us to do the same thing for a couple of reasons. One, he's our king and we sin against him. But or second, he's your heavenly father. And God loves you just like a great, great father would. And we need to come back to him and repent for that. So I encourage you, confess your sin to God and also confess your sin to your friends. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. We need to confess our sins to each other. I pray that God would convict us tonight to confess our sins to each other. So these are two things that, that I feel like we can do to, to submit ourselves to God's authority. But I think there's, a, there's one more principle that I think 
God wants to, to get through to us tonight. And this comes from verse 11. And this is how they responded to, to Jesus' love in the end. This is what it says. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. They left everything and they followed him. So the second point tonight is this. We have to make hard decisions and leave everything that separates us from Jesus. You know, one of the themes from Fall Retreat, Pastor Dave was the one who spoke, Pastor Dave Leadall. One of the themes of his messages were that to get to the place that God has for us, we have to make some hard decisions. And I just so happened to be preaching on this passage. So if you didn't make that hard decision that God called you to make at Fall Retreat, he's still coming after you tonight. The Holy Spirit will hunt you down, I'm just saying. So if we want to be all that Jesus calls us to be, if we want to be the man or woman that he created us to be, then we have to make some tough decisions and leave the things that are separating us from him. True followers of Jesus are committed to leaving the things that separate them from God because they want nothing to come between them and the love of God. They want nothing to come in between their relationship with God. The disciples knew that they couldn't continue living their lives the way, or the way they were. They knew that they had to leave everything. If they wanted to travel with Jesus, like logistically, they could not carry everything with them. They had to leave everything. So for us, we don't necessarily have to leave all of our stuff behind, but Jesus is calling you to, to leave your junk behind. Jesus calling, or Jesus is calling you to leave your sin behind. You can't, or it says in, actually we're going to get to it later, so I'm not going to say it yet. All right. <laughs> so if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, then we have to do what others aren't doing as well. We can't simply blend in with the world. We have to do what others aren't doing. You can't just blend in with everyone else around you. Followers of Jesus should look different than people in the world. It should, or should look completely different. Your life should look different because nothing separates you from God. Because you're passionate about just rooting out the things that separate you from God and, and the things that separate you from having an intimate relationship with him. So one of the great criticisms against Christianity today is that Christians don't live their lives any different than the world. I want to be a group that chooses to live our lives differently, a group that's willing to do the hard things for Christ. I want to love people who hate us. I want to be tender and compassionate when we're tempted to be angry with people. I want to forgive people even when it's hard. I want to do whatever it takes to get sin out of my life because I want nothing to separate me from God. I want to share my faith with my friends and not be sorry for it. I want to love those who are difficult to love. That's what God is calling us to be as a ministry. If we want to be all that Jesus calls us to be, then we have to make some hard decisions. We have to leave the things that are separating us from him. If you feel like you're in a rut with God, I encourage you to evaluate your life and see what God might be calling you to change. If you want to get to where you've never been before, then you have to do some things that you've never done before. God is calling us to make some changes tonight. So maybe you need to set your alarm clock and get up early in the morning to read your Bible. Maybe you need to start praying for your friends. Maybe you need to jump into small group. Amen. <laughs> maybe you need to take something out of your life that is causing you to sin. As the people of God, we just simply cannot like, allow sin to take residence in our heart. We have to be ferocious about getting sin out of our life. We have to get serious about becoming the person that God calls us to be. We can't just accept complacency and accept the things that distract us from God. 
So who do you need to forgive tonight? That's my question for you. Who hurts you that you need to forgive? What relationship do you need to end? Who do you need to ask to hold you accountable? What things are causing you to sin? What things are pulling you away from God? Let's ask ourselves those questions. Jesus is incredibly forgiving. He's loving. I mean, the man died on the cross for our sins, for heaven's sake. He is so loving. He loves you so much. He knew everything you'd ever do when he's up on that cross, but he stayed up there. But he doesn't just forgive us on the cross, but he destroys sin's power on the cross, and he calls us out of it. That radical display of love can have nothing else but a radical response to that love, and we need to flee the sin that put him up there. How can we keep living in sin if we've been raised with Christ? You know, or a good picture of this is water baptism. You've been been put under and then raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, how can you continue to live a life of sin? If you've been raised from your sinful self into a new creature, how can you continue to live your life in sin? So Matthew 5, 27, 30 says this. I'm sorry that this sermon's kind of like, boom, tonight, but it's the sermon, so that's what God told me to say. Don't blame me. Blame him. All right, verse 27. You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's getting to some of us. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, then tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that, or that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is Jesus. This ain't no fairy dust Jesus. Okay? This isn't the fairy dust Jesus you hear about in the news. This is Jesus right here. These are bold words from our Lord. Like obviously, he's exaggerating. Please don't go into the bathroom and try to tear your eye out. But Jesus shows us just how serious sin is and how serious our response to, or should be to, this, or to the sin in our life. Saved people should be transformed people. Saved people should be changed people. We cannot continue to give in to the temptations that the enemy throws our way. We have to confess. We have to be ferocious about confessing our sin when it comes up and, and repenting of it to God and to our friends and doing whatever it takes to get that, or get that sin out of our lives. So if your smartphone is causing you to sin, then maybe you should get a dumb phone. If your boyfriend or, or girlfriend is causing you to sin, then maybe you should get rid of them. Sorry. If video games are causing you to sin, then throw those stupid games away. John did it last year. Come on. Seriously, John Griffin played video games like crazy last year, and this year he didn't even bring his games to school because he knew it would distract him. That's a radical response to the love of God. Seriously, come on. Dude, I love you so much. All right. I wasn't planning on saying that just because he clapped. But anyways, Luke 16, 13 says this. This is what I was going to say earlier when it's like, crap, I can't say it yet. So here it is. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So he's specifically talking about, you know, money in this instance, but it, but it applies to anything that's or separating you from God, anything that's pulling on your heart, anything that's taking God's place in your heart. You cannot serve two masters. The worship team would come up. You can dim the lights, too. So you're all thinking, wow, he's going really quick today. But I just had the worship team come up early this time, so we still got like two hours. 
I'm kidding. Because <laughs> it's so much better when the worship team's up here. I mean, seriously, like the feeling is there. I don't know. It's just easier to preach. <clears throat> but anyways, <clears throat> all right, so now I'm about to get real serious. You ready? This is deep. I don't think I've shared this publicly. All right. So when I first got to you and I, okay, bug, I rushed into a relationship with a girl who I barely knew, okay? So on Sunday, I went to the river. So I went to, like, all the campus ministries that first week, and I met a girl there, and I kind of started, like, not really dating her, but hanging out with her, or if you know what I mean. She had a boyfriend, so totally sinful, and uh, she actually broke up with her boyfriend for me. And then on Thursday, so five days later, I come here, and I meet my wife here at Chi Alpha, and I'd already done some stupid things with that girl, and she had a boyfriend. She broke up with him for me, and I'm thinking, shoot, because I met Emily. I was like, this girl is really awesome, but there's something else going on. There's something that was distracting me from her, or a different relationship that wasn't honoring God, and so at the service before fall retreat, Pastor Dave, who spoke this last week, and came here and spoke, and his wife was here with him, and I remember just like just looking at them from the drums that I played drums back in the day, just looking at them and thinking, wow, there's something special about that relationship. Like, I want to be like them. I want to, you know, someday get married and honor God before we get married and be pure, all those things. And, and the Holy Spirit began to convict me in that moment. So the or, or conviction of the Holy Spirit is not where you feel, like, like shameful or guilty, but it's just this, or this loving push that says you're better than that. Or it's this loving push that says, I have more for you than that. So I felt that from the Holy Spirit, and I knew I had to break it off with this other girl. And, uh, you know, or at this point, I think it had been like a month of us being together. And uh, so I went to her dorm that night and broke it off with her, and she absolutely hated me for it. Uh, what's crazy is she ended up getting back together with her boyfriend, and they're married today. So think about the gravity of that sin, like what I did. Okay, so it was terrible. But anyways, God called me to make a hard decision that night, and then the next day we went to Fall Retreat, and I rode with Emily in the car with some other friends. We weren't just us two, but... but uh, but a friendship began to develop there, and then just a month after that, we started dating, and then we got married two years later. But, but it all started with an encounter with God in this very room five years ago, like right around this time, where God said that you're better than that, where God said you need to make a hard decision if you want to have just everything I have for you. Like if you want to live in my will, then you have to make a hard decision tonight. And it was, an, it was extremely painful, that decision, but it was so worth it because I would never be married today. I, guys, I wouldn't be leading this ministry probably. Our future kids would never have a chance. But it all started with one decision where I said, I'm going to break it off of that girl. And tonight I just, I feel so pressed by the Holy Spirit that some of us are holding on to things and it's preventing us from getting to where God has us or where God wants us to go. So tonight I think some hard decisions have to be made. I feel like the, the Holy Spirit's here right now and he's convicting you of certain things. He's highlighting the sin in your life and he's calling you out of it. He's calling you to make some changes so that you can be all that he has for you to be. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he wants to ruin your life. It's because he has more for you. Jesus has more for you than complacency. Jesus has something beautiful for you, but it's on the other side of that decision you have to make. Just like the disciples had to leave everything to follow Jesus, but it was so worth it. They were used to build the kingdom of God. They, they were used to build the church. What does God have for you on the other side of that decision? That's the question I have for you.
But it starts right here with a decision that, that has to be made. So I just want to take two minutes. Like I don't typically do this, but take two minutes. I'm going to get off the stage for a few minutes and just give you some time to pray and to ask God, what is it that you'd have me do? Pull out your smartphone if you have to and go on your note app and just write down what God wants you to do because I don't want you to forget this because I just firmly believe that some of you were called to do something at Fall Retreat, but you didn't do it. So this time, let's remember it. So let's take two minutes. It's the best kind of preaching. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I don't even have to say anything. So the main point tonight is this. In awe of God's love and power, we fully submit ourselves to, or to his authority and are willing to do whatever it takes to follow him. So Luke 6, 46 through 49 says this. This happened to come up in my Bible reading today, so I thought it was perfect. Let's throw it up. Jesus is saying this to a group of people. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And he says, everyone who comes to me and then hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He, that person is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And then when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. In verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I want to be a person who does what Jesus tells me to do and builds my house on a rock. I want to be that person. I want us to be that group. Jesus is calling us to go deeper with him and to commit our full selves to him to do the hard things, to take action and obey him when he calls us to obey. We cannot simply call Jesus Lord and not do what he tells us to do. So what is sitting on the throne of your heart tonight that you have to move off so Jesus can have that place? What is on the throne of your heart tonight? Only Jesus should have that place. Jesus is calling us to, to run to his word and to draw guidance from it, to draw strength from his word, to, to not let anything else have authority in our life other than him and his word and the Holy Spirit. So what worldly authorities have you been placing over the word of God? Is it your friends? Is it culture? Is it a political party? Jesus is calling you to submit to his authority tonight, to fall before him just as Peter did and to say, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And then to find healing and to find peace at Jesus' feet. Jesus came, he died for you so that you could both have forgiveness and have freedom from your sin. But we have to make the decision to take that freedom. He's not going to force it on us. So what decision needs to be made tonight? What sin do you need to confess to your small group leader? What relationship needs to end? I'll say it again. What piece of technology is causing you to sin? What time do you need to set your alarm clock tomorrow so you actually read the Bible? When you make these hard decisions, Jesus is on the other side and he's ready to guide you and to lead you into the beautiful future he has for you. Jesus doesn't expect perfection from us. He doesn't expect that, but, but he wants us to humble ourselves before him and start walking towards him. Jesus only calls us to do these things because he loves us so dearly and he knows what's best for us. Your salvation does not depend upon this decision. 
but walking in God's destiny and purpose does. So if you guys would stand with me tonight. Jesus is calling us to be a group who is fully devoted, wholly committed, no, or holding nothing back, group of followers. He's calling us to be followers first. At the end of the day, when you strip everything down, we're just all about following Jesus. That's what we're about. It's not about the music. It's not the hype. It's, it's just Jesus. He's the reason. So when people look at Kyle for you and I, I want them to know that we are ferociously committed to Jesus and his word. We bow before his authority and we call him king. We aren't going half in, half out. We're going all in. We're not perfect, but we're humble and we're committed to following him no matter what. But the thing is, we're in this together, okay? We're in this together. You may think I'm like not even close to that point in my journey with God. That's okay. We're in this together. Like you may think, wow, like I just raised my hand to, for salvation last week. I don't even know what he's talking about. But we're in this together. See, we're all going on this journey together, trying to find God's will for our lives. So I just want to say this to you. Like if you're thinking, wow, this is a huge call this is a lot. This is my first time here. What is this dude talking about? Like We're all in this journey together, okay? We're in this thing together. And we're all here to help each other as we try to find God's will for our lives. Peter didn't have everything figured out when he bowed before Jesus. He just decided to humble himself and he followed him. That's what Jesus is calling us into tonight. Calling us to a commitment to go on a journey no matter what he may ask us to do. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room, but you've never committed yourself to follow Jesus, maybe you did once in the past, but, but if you're honest, you haven't been following God. You haven't been in relationship with him or, or you haven't accepted his sacrifice on the cross. And tonight, if you want to put your faith in Jesus or, or make a commitment to have relationship with him and accept his sacrifice on the cross, if that's you, if you want to have a relationship with God for the first time or recommit yourself, I just want you to raise your hand right now. Nobody's looking around. See that hand, see that hand, see that hand. Is there anybody else in this room? See that hand, see that hand, see that hand. Is there anybody else? We're in this together. There's six of us with our hands raised right now. Is there anyone else? See that hand. All right. Put your hands down. The second question is this, and this is more for people who have been following Jesus for some time. If you're here tonight and you've been following Jesus, but, but you recognize that a decision has to be made tonight, like you have to decide to go all in. You have to take that thing off the throne of your heart so that God can have that place. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. This is just between you and God. Tons of hands going up all across the room. Is there anyone else? There's tons of us doing this. Yeah, I see that hand. You guys can put your hands down. All right, so first I'm just going to pray for the six of us who put our faith in Jesus. I'm going to pray just a prayer of salvation, a prayer of repentance to God, and, and I encourage you to pray it along with me in your heart. Just pray it in your own words. God's not, guys, God's not looking for some, uh, or some special words from you. He just wants you to pour your heart out to him and ask him to save you. So just pray that in your heart as I pray this. Jesus, I thank you for every person in this room that wants to put their faith in you. God, I thank you that you have a purpose and a destiny for their life. God, I pray that right now that you take their hand and take them on this journey. God, we repent for our sins. We confess that we've totally messed up, but we trust that you are so loving and that you're going to save us. We trust that the cross was for us. We trust that you died for us on the cross and paid 
the price for our sins. And we decide to walk into that today. We want to have a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. And for the second group of us, God, I just pray tonight that each of us would, would be fully committed, sold out, holding nothing back, followers of Jesus, just like the disciples, God. I pray we respond radically to your grace and leave everything that holds us back. And God, I pray for those specific decisions that, that were made tonight. I pray that you'd help us to make those decisions. Help us to follow through on those decisions. Help us to walk in everything you call us to walk in. God, I pray that you'd help us to become the man and woman that you've called us to be. Jesus, I pray that nothing would prevent us from our destiny with you. God, destroy all the things in our life that are holding us back. We love you, Jesus. We thank you in your name. Amen. All right, guys, this song is so relevant for this message. I didn't know this song was going to be played, but I pray that you would pray tonight in this song. Pray, God, have it all. Sing that out to him. Just cry out to him and ask him to have it all because that's what he wants. He wants every part of our hearts. He wants every part of our lives. So let's just cry out to him just as a people, as a group, and say, God, have it all. Have, or have my whole world.